Amen, amen. Hey, grab a, uh, grab a seat and grab a Bible as you do. Malachi chapter 2, right at the end of Malachi 2. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's one under a seat nearby you. Grab that. It's page 802 in that Bible. Uh, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So turn to the New Testament, go back a couple pages, and you'll be there. Uh, as you uh, get there, I think we can all agree that sometimes when life uh, isn't going our way, there can be a temptation there can be a tendency to begin to look around at other people's lives and compare where our life is at with where their life is at. Uh, We don't do this all the time, but um, there are times in life when we are floundering that we look around and we notice that other people are flourishing. Uh, There are times in life when we go, man, we're just down and out right now, and we look around and it seems like Others, or uh, specifically some people you're looking at, like life is just up and to the right for them. But I think all of us have experienced uh, at low points in life that tendency to look around and begin to compare our lives with where others are at. Uh, Just some examples of this. The recent college graduate who has sent out resume after resume after resume to like nothing, like just radio silence back from any potential hires. Uh, He's got a buddy who just got a great job in the city. He's got another friend who just got a great job, kind of dream job out on the West Coast. And he's finding himself picking up shifts back at the movie theater where he worked in high school. Do you want extra butter on your popcorn? And he's looking around going like, what is up with this? I mean, better GPA than those people. Like, you know, I'm just better than them. What's up with that? Uh, the, The high school student who has just worked so hard in a sport and band and an activity, and like someone else gets first chair. Or the other guy who didn't work as hard gets to start. And the 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 wrestle of the middle school or high school student trying to go how does this work here? Or passed up for a promotion and you find out who got it and you're going, really? Really? I think all of us know what it's like to begin to look um, from side to side and compare our lives with others at times where we find ourselves down and out. Um, This is what's going on in Malachi in the passage we study here today. And um, more so than just picking up shifts at a movie theater or whatever. Like, the comparison that God's people are going to do here is on a, a grand scale, and it's going to lead them to um, a really, really dangerous accusation against God. Uh, I've tried to recap every single week so that we know what's going on uh, in the time in which we find the book of Malachi. God's people are, are back and coming back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been rebuilt. Um, With the rebuilding of Jerusalem, there was great expectations that God's glory was going to descend down again. That that just like when the first temple was built, the presence, the powerful presence of God was going to come down and everything was going to be awesome. They were going to prosper and like they were going to be again that nation like they read about and heard about from their ancestors of the past. And yet, um, roughly a century or so after the rebuilding, the people of God are floundering, and they're, they've come to a place where they're like, what is up with this? 
and we know what's up with this because the book of Malachi is devoted to it. The people of God have come back and they're doing all of their rote religious routines. They're bringing their sacrifice and they're going, see God here, here's the sacrifice. Now what are you going to do for me? And God throughout this book has been after them to say, I'm not interested in your rote religious routines. I'm interested in a revival of your heart that from the inside out, worship would pour out of you. But the people aren't at that place. And so what they do as they begin to see they're floundering, and this isn't like they thought, they begin to compare themselves to other nations. They begin to look, at, look around at godless nations, at godless people groups. And here's what they, according to their words, see. It looks like they're flourishing. It looks like they're doing great. God, here we are, your people, we're bringing, like we're trying to do all the religious stuff we think you want to do that God didn't want them to do. And we're looking around at all these godless nations around us and it looks like we're floundering and they're flourishing and this will lead them to a very, very, very dangerous accusation against the Lord. A book of Malachi is structured in kind of what's called six disputes, what we're calling six wake-up calls. And this dispute they're going to have with the Lord today, we begin to see in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Look at what Malachi 2, 17 says. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say... How have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, what are the people saying here? The people are saying here, as they look around, they're going, wow, those evildoers over there, God, you must think they're good. God, you must be calling their evil good. God, you must be delighting in them because look at them. They look like they're prospering. They look like they're flourishing. And then they say the audacity, folks, get this, the audacity to look at the just God of the universe, the creator of all, and say, God, where is your justice? That's their question. God, where is your justice? God, why does it seem that you're smiling down on evil? God, why does it seem that your hand of favor is on people who have no interest in honoring you at all? And this is the question of the people. Now, The first six verses of Malachi chapter 3 is going to be God's answer to this question, God, where is your justice? The first six verses of Malachi 3 are going to be God's response to their accusation. And his response is probably going to take us off guard a bit. It's not maybe the way we would expect him to just directly answer this. But as we look at the first six verses of Malachi chapter 3 today, we are going to get a glimpse of how God has not just told us of his justice, but how he literally has shown us his loving, patient justice in and on the world. God has not just said it, he has shown it. 
And what is he going to say in Malachi chapter 3 in the first six verses that tells us, that shows us his loving justice to the world? And so I want us to, I want to set this up a little more. Um, throughout the Bible, we see at different parts of Scripture God's people asking very similar questions. Look at what Jeremiah says in his own words, Jeremiah 12, verse 1. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Uh, you see it in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 73 is a great example of it. Where, where people are just like, Lord, why, why does it seem as I look around like evil people are just thriving and doing awesome? And maybe, no doubt, as you flip on the news um, and you see like evil abound at times, you just, there's just this voice in your head that just goes, Lord, like, where is your justice? Where's your justice in this? As you find yourself comparing your floundering life at times with others who are flourishing, and um, these others who are flourishing who have no interest, it seems, in giving God honor with their life at all, you're going, God, where's your justice in that? We need reminded today of the lovingly patient justice of God, and we're going to see that in this passage today. But let me give you a definition of justice so we're all working from the same place this morning. Justice is this. It's an action or vindication that establishes what is right. So an action that establishes, here's what's right, here's what's righteous, or it's a vindication, like there's wrong that has taken place, and someone's going to vindicate that wrong and make it right. So an action or vindication that establishes what is right. And the question raised before us today by God's people in this time is, God, where is your justice? Let's see how he answers it. Pray with me, and let's prepare our hearts for that answer. God, Speak to us now through your word. Lord, we need to see how you have revealed perfectly to us your justice. Lord, we need to see how that intersects our life. Lord, we need to see that in uh, your uh, completely pure justice, Lord, you are lovingly patient with us. You are long-suffering with us, Lord. You are so merciful with us, Lord. You are gracious with us, Lord. And Lord, I hope by the end of this message today. We would thank you for the lovingly patient justice in which you've poured out so clearly to us. Justice personified came to earth, Lord, and we want to see that in this text here today. In Jesus' name, amen. The question raised, God, where is your justice? God's answer, Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come down to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. What's up with that? You might be going, like, just in your initial reading of this, did, did God just change the subject on him? I thought the people asked a question here, and the question of the people was, God, where is your justice? Why does it seem like you're smiling down on evil? Where are you in this? God's answer to the question, where is your justice, is this, I'm coming. I am coming, folks. And now... 
we need to understand what's being referred to here. Because when it says at the beginning of verse 1, behold, I send my messenger. God's telling how he's going to come into the world one day. Um, The people in this, let's talk about perspective, right? Hearers in Malachi's day are looking forward to this messenger coming. Us sitting here today, we got a better seat, y'all. We're looking back. And the New Testament tells us who this messenger that Malachi is referring to. It just overtly tells us who it is. It is John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3 says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here was John right there, that statement. Here was John's ministry. John was a forerunning messenger to the coming Messiah, and John's ministry was to prepare their heart, to prepare their heart, to say, repent, repent, the Messiah is coming. Get your heart ready. Let me, let me clear the hardness of your heart. Let me, clear, um, let me clear the things you're unrepentant of. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment, y'all ready for this, of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Delicious. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Church, listen up. The Old Testament is so cool to study because you don't have to wait to get to the New Testament to read about Jesus, okay? John came preparing the way for Jesus, and now the book of Malachi is going to start talking about the coming of Jesus. Behold, I send my messenger. Here's the Lord talking, right? Let's understand the characters and the players in this verse. I'll send my messenger, John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. Who's talking? The Lord. This messenger is going to prepare the way before me. And he's talking in first person here. Now, watch what he does now. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. He just switched tenses on us. He just went and said, there's a messenger coming and he's going to prepare the way before me. And then he immediately says, the Lord whom you seek, he will come and he will come dwell. He will come temple. Who's he talking about here? I believe you have right here in the book of Malachi, this beautiful like Trinitarian picture here. The father talking about this messenger who's going to go before, yes, him. And then he says, the Lord, Jesus, second person of the Trinity is going to come. And what's it say here? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Remember the longing of the people here. They're like, Lord, the temple's resurrected again. Like, we've rebuilt it. Where's your presence among us? Where's your presence among us? And the Lord says, a messenger's coming one day, and he's going to prepare the way, and then I'm going to come temple with my people. My presence is going to be there with you. This is awesome. And the messenger of the covenant, now that messenger, follow along here, talking about Jesus, Why is that Jesus, messenger of the covenant? Do you remember the covenant God made with Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How are all the nations of the earth blessed through the covenant with Abraham? His name is Jesus, y'all. Y'all with me? 
in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now we have to just pause right here and get this. God's answer to the question, where is your justice? He wants to begin his answer by saying, I am going to come dwell among you. And now you might go like, okay, how does that answer the question, though? Like, where is your justice, God? When, when will your righteous justice, like, uh, rule and reign on the earth? He wants to begin the answer to that question with, first, you need to understand that I'm going to come down among you. And so write this down. First point on your notes is this. Uh, the, the Lord has come. I, I frame that in past tense for us, sitting on this perspective. The Lord has come and dwelt among his people. Now, let's talk about this. Why does God answer the question, where is your justice? By first starting with, I'm going to come, my presence is going to be there, and then we'll work on this justice thing. Think about how just the presence of someone might bring about justice. Um, I don't know if this was the case for you. Um, growing up as a kid, I'd, I'd do some stuff I shouldn't do from time to time. And sometimes I'd do some stuff I shouldn't do when daddy wasn't home. And mom would sometimes take care of it right there. But then sometimes mom would say, Wait till your dad gets home. And like from the time I was knee high, I knew what that meant. Wait until your dad gets home meant the moment my dad darkens the doorway, justice is going to be enacted in the Graham home. And I don't say that in like a bad way. My dad was a good and godly man. Like that discipline was appropriate and it was right. And there was a healthy fear inside of little Brock there of just all afternoon long going, dad's coming home. And justice is going to happen. So one time, one time in high school, um, you want to hear this story? So I had some friends over, and we were hanging out in the basement, and we got a really, really good idea. And uh, it was in the days when Meyer, did you all ever have that down here where Meyer had the bulk candy, the bins? You all ever experienced that in Indiana? Bulk candy. So it's way past our curfew. But y'all, you know, we need some sour gummy worms at 2 in the morning. And so off we go. Brilliant idea. Made it to Meyer. We're on our way back from Meyer, and like there just happened to be like two county sheriffs right on our like right on our route there, and so like we go past and they pull us over and we're all out past curfew and um, we got like this big bag of gummy worms sitting in the middle seat, and um, so the county sheriffs go I need all of your names, <laughs> I need all of your names and all of your parents' phone numbers right now. One of my buddies was so nervous. His name was Jamie, but his real name was James. The, the officer goes, name, son, now. He goes, do you want my real name or my street name? I'm like, what are you saying? What do you say? We don't have street names. And he's like, I want your real name, son. He's like, James Aloysius Delifty. 
And he's like, spell your middle name. He's like, sir, I don't know how to spell my middle name. I'm not lying. And so all of our parents get called. All of our parents get called. They call my house where we were all to be saying, and the Kent County Sheriff begins the conversation with, Mrs. Graham, do you know where your son is right now? My lovely mama says, yes, sir. He's in the basement with his friends. Mom, 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 if the sheriff's calling you, I'm probably not in the basement anymore. <laughs> so we, you know, they, they scare us. They let us go. But of course, like, I'm more, I'm more fearful, not of the sheriff's, but of walking through that front door when I get home. Now, um, my dad wasn't there. My dad was driving. He was out in his truck driving for the night. And so, like, I'm, I'm the whole drive, drive there, I'm like, oh, like... And so I walk through the door, and my mom and dad, this was like beautiful. 16 years later, this is like one of the most beautiful teaching moments of my life. My, my mom is right there. I can still picture this. And she's just looking at me. And my brother, my older brother's behind her going, oh. <laughs> and um, my mom just says, go to bed. We'll deal with this in the morning when your dad's home. And I'm just like, no, please, let's deal with it now, 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 now. And so I remember finally falling asleep, waking up that next morning, having to ascend the stairs from the basement where I slept, turning the corner into the kitchen and seeing my dad sitting right there at the kitchen table. And the way my dad handled this was one of the most powerful teaching moments of my life. I'll tell you how all that shook out if you want to know one-on-one. But justice was enacted perfectly at that point. I tell that story to just say, God wants us to know here the answer to the question, God, where is your justice? Cannot be teased out and separated from the fact that he answers here. Let me tell you, one day I'm coming to dwell among you. One day my presence will be there with you. And he's like, that's how I want to begin my answer to you. But he's not done there. It doesn't tell us how justice is going to be enacted. It just tells us God is coming. I'm coming among you. Now, how, how in the coming of the Lord will justice happen, this, this, this action that sets things right, this vindication that sets things right, how will justice come about through the coming of the presence of the Lord among us? He begins to get there, verse 2. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as, is, as in the days of old and as in former years. Hang with me here. We're going to come back to all this. Go, Got to go to verse 5, though, first. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. 
I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if the first part of the Lord's answer to the question, God, where is your justice? If the first part was, I'm coming. The second part tells us, what will he do in his coming? Point two is this. Here's what the Lord will do. The Lord has and will continue to purify the worship of his people and judge the sin of the world. So there's a two-part to this point here, and I want us to see both of these parts. Where am I getting this from the text? Go back to verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Okay, the Lord uses two pictures here. When the Lord comes, he's like a refiner's fire. So picture metal heated up, liquid. uh, That the, The heating of that is a refining to the metal. It separates the impurities from that which is truly good metal. And then he says, uh, he's like, it's like a fuller's soap. What, what is fuller's soap? A fuller was a launderer. A fuller's soap was uh, what you would use to uh, bring whiteness back to a garment, to clean off the dirt of a garment. And it says, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I'm coming and I'm like a refiner. I'm going to purify. I'm going to clean. And then he gets at this worship thing. Um, he will purify, middle of verse 3, he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring, look at what it says here, they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Okay, every single week of this series, God has brought up the issue of worship. He's brought it up in the types of sacrifices they were bringing, He's brought it up over and over and over again. And here's what he just said here. When I come, I will refine and I will purify and I will clean. And then the sons of Levi, the, the, the priestly descendants, they will bring, they will bring uh, 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 offerings of righteousness to me. Their worship will be purified. It will be according. Uh, they will ascribe worth to me in the way that I am due. I will make the worship of my people right. And we want that, church. We want that. We want to be priesthood of all believers sitting here. We want right worship offered up to the Lord. And he says, I will purify the worship of my people. But then there's the second part to this point here. And that second part comes out in verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the, and then he gives this list here, the sorcerers and the adulterers against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages and oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, So yes, he will purify the worship of his people. And he will also draw near to judge the sin of the world. Now, I'm just telling you, I, you read that list, okay, God's going to come. He's going to judge the sin of the world. You read that list, and you're like, yeah, God, go get them. Go get those evildoers. 
go enact justice, Lord. And I'm just telling you, like early on in the week in my study, I'm sitting there on this side of the list going, yeah, God, go get them. And then as the week went on and I began to read that list, I went, I'm, I'm in that list. I'm guilty. And, and maybe you're going like, what? What are you talking about? We're not there. Against the sorcerers? Uh, no, cool. I'm not a witch. We're good. Against the adulterers? You're like, go on. I'm still good. And then Jesus showed up on the scene. And remember how he said he was going to purify the worship? He preaches this awesome little sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he says over and over again, hey, you heard that it was said, but I say to you. And like every legalist is sitting there with their checklist, like, I think I'm good there. I think I'm good there. And then he says, uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And they're all like, good. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's like, I'm guilty. Um, against those who swear falsely. You're like, I've never lied, liar. <laughs> and you begin to read this list, and instead of sitting on the other side of the list going, yeah, God, go get him. Enact your justice, you go. I'm guilty. And folks, we just got to have a moment here where we say out loud, I'm guilty, and this list includes me. And God has said he's going to draw near for judgment against us. Now, what do we do? This is where the good news message of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. Because every one of us in here have sinned. Every one of us in here are in this list somewhere. And God, God is purely just. He cannot just turn a blind eye to sin and go like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's just pretend like it never happened. Like he has to judge sin. He can't be fully loving if he's not fully just. He has to deal with the sin. This is where the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ comes in. And so if this beautiful trash can right here represents, represents our life, in sin. I know it's a flattering image, right? If this beautiful trash can represents our life in sin, God has to judge this. God has to do something with my sin. He can't just turn a blind eye. He tells us all throughout his word that the penalty of sin is death. Where does the good news message of Jesus Christ come in? The cross of Jesus Christ. As we come as people completely sinful, people who are defined by being in sin, as we come into the shadow of the cross, here's the good news message of Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. God has judged 
my sin if I am in Christ in pouring his wrath out on his son on the cross. It wasn't that just that God just turned a blind eye to us. It wasn't that like, oh, our sin must not be a big deal to God. Our sin was such a big deal to God. He sent his one and only son to come and die a sinner's death so that if we would put our faith in him, we would go free. Our sin has been judged. Jesus took our sin on the cross if we were in Christ, and then something beautiful happens. Scripture tells us that it, through Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and through us putting faith in Jesus Christ, not only does he pardon us from our sin, the good news gets better. He doesn't just now say like, okay, I'm just going to pretend like I don't see it and pardon us. The Bible actually says the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. It's this awesome doctrine, and I love to talk about it all the time, of imputed righteousness. And I know right now, stay with me right now. Because this morning early, I didn't have this plan this week, but as I'm thinking about this part of the message, two lies are going to creep into your head right now. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, two lies are going to creep into your head, and they're from the enemy right now. The first lie is going to say, not possible. Because I know some deep, dark sin stuff that I have in my life that there's no way God would forgive me for, and that's false. It is a lie of the enemy. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, look at what Romans 5 verse 1 tells you here today. Dakota, let's go to that verse. Therefore, since we have been justified, justified means to be declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Don't believe that lie out of the pit of hell. The crucifixion of Christ and you putting your faith in Jesus is enough to forgive the worst of the stuff at the bottom of this barrel. There's a second lie, though, and it's equally as dangerous. The second lie is people over here who say, um, my life's not a trash can. I'm good. Like, like, Pastor, if I brought you my spiritual resume, you'd be really impressed. And you know what? I probably would be. But when we stand before the Lord one day, we won't pull out a spiritual resume. You won't say, Lord, hey, if we could just sit down, I brought something with me and let me show you, like, if you look at this that I did in that year, like, you know, I think you'll give me extra brownie points for that. No, he'll say, um, yeah, go ahead and pull out your resume. Is there just one word on it? Christ? Don't believe a lie that the cross of Jesus Christ doesn't apply to you because you think you've lived such a morally upright life. There is, the, God says, there is none righteous, no, not one. So God has not turned just a blind eye to our sin. He has poured out his wrath on his son on the cross that when we come to Christ in faith, 
he completely pardons us of our sin because that sin has been atoned for. And then he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. Now, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we got to go to the scary part. If we never turn to Christ in faith, if we never do anything with the cross, if we say like hogwash, I don't buy that. I'll be good one day. We are not what the Bible calls in Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've never put your faith in him, you are not in Christ, you are still in your sin. And because of God's complete justice, he has to deal with your sin. And he will judge your sin on the day you come before him. And your sin will not have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ because you've not trusted Jesus Christ with your life. Do we see how God has to judge all of our sin in here? The good news of Christianity is we must put our faith in Jesus Christ for him to atone for our sin. So we're not just left out here on our own, still in our sin. And this is what God has offered us in the gospel. And so the question is just, are you in Christ or are you still in your sin? And there's no more eternally significant question that we could possibly ask this morning than that. Now, you might say that's heavy, that's heavy, that's heavy. And it might raise for you, if you're not a Christian in the room, all of these questions about, well, how could a good God and all of this, um, we're going there next. Because in verse 6, there's an amazing statement about the nature and the character of this patiently loving, long-suffering God towards us. Look at what it says in verse 6. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. So he's, just on, he's right on the heels of saying, like, and then I'm going to draw near to you for judgment. And I'm going to judge these things. And then he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not, what's the word? Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are, Jacob, are not consumed. God would have been perfectly righteous the moment Eve sunk her teeth into that fruit to just completely drop Adam and Eve dead right there on the spot. God would have been completely just through all of the nation of Israel's whining wilderness wandering to just say, I'm done, I'm done with you. God would have been completely righteous when the nation of Israel just went back to spiritual adultery after spiritual adultery, idol after idol, to just say, wipe you out. But God has always been faithful to the covenant that he's made. And God is completely long-suffering with us right down to this day and to my wicked, sinful heart, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And in his patiently loving justice, he beckons and calls us to himself to say, come to my son that your sin will be atoned for. Last thing, the Lord's nature makes him lovingly patient 
and his justice towards us. And so church, I just want to give you the sermon today in a sentence, and it's this. The lovingly patient justice of God is clearly seen in the coming of Christ and the cross of Christ. And in the closing moments of the sermon, I just got to ask like all of us in this room, we got to respond. Every single one of us in this room got to respond to something today. And so just in the closing moments here, if you would just stand to your feet and... Um, I just want to ask three questions. I'm just going to ask you, and at this time of response, just bow your head and close your eyes and just let the Lord search our heart as we ask a couple questions of our life here based on what the Word confronted us with this morning. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just want to ask this question. Who in here, uh, who needed a reminder today of the lovingly patient justice of God in your life? Just put your hands in the air if you need a reminder of that today. You've been looking around and you've been saying, like, why are all these, like, why does it seem like the wicked are prospering? Why, Lord, this doesn't seem fair. And today there's been a reminder in Scripture that the Lord sees, that the Lord has come, and guess what? That the Lord's coming back. He still sees, and he's coming back, and he's going to right all of the wrongs of this world. And we're reminded today of his justice. Second question, just your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Who needed a word today that God wants to uh, purify the worship of your heart in some areas? How quick we are to just, how quick I am, and I can't speak for you, but how quick I am to just knee-jerk to self-righteousness. To read a list like we find in Malachi 3 and go, yeah, God, go get them. Go get them. Go get them. And then as the study goes on to go, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And we just want to come back to a heart of worship. Right worship. And then just last question, are you in this room today, and have you never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and has today been the day that you've seen just kind of what the life in your sin looks like, and how you need to bring that to the foot of the cross to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Is there anyone in the room today who would lift their hand in the air and say, I need to put my faith in Jesus this morning? Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Very simply, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So a faith cry from your heart this morning before you walk out of this room, you tell them, Lord, I see, I see the trash can of my life and my sin. And I see that that's deserving of being judged by you, a holy and just God. But Lord, I thank you for the cross of Christ. Today, I trust you as my Lord. You tell him that today before you walk out of here. Father God, thank you for the word that you've given us. 
And Lord, we just uh, cast this now before you. And we ask to do whatever you want to do and accomplish in our hearts here today. Lord, for those of us who just need a reminder that you are just, that you do see, that you are good, and that you will always act justly in your time. Lord, those that needed a reminder today, Lord, you're after the purity of heart. You want my worship from the inside out, not just my rote religious routines. And then for those, Lord, who indicated they need to trust you for the first time as their savior, Lord, draw them to yourself by the power of your spirit this morning. Lord, as we walk out of this place today, continue your work on our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name.